Well, good evening. Is this afternoon or evening? Whatever it is to you. Good afternoon or evening. Uh, my name is Mike, and um, I'm really looking forward to this. As Dave sort of just shared with you, we're in the second week of this series we've called A Life Worth Dying For, and we're looking at the uh, story of Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, and just his encounters uh, as recorded by Luke in his gospel. And last week, as Dave was saying, we, we talked about uh, Jesus' grand announcement that he was the Messiah. And uh, it didn't go quite as swimmingly as maybe uh, we might have imagined, but he not only announced that he was the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture, but that he was, in fact, does anyone remember the tagline? <laughs> One person. Solid. Wait for it, right? He was worth waiting for. And he still is today, and what he calls us to and what, how he calls us to live is still worth waiting for in spite of what we don't think we see sometimes or what we do think we see. But this week, we're going to switch it around. We're going to pick up right where we left off in chapter 4, and we're going to continue reading. And we're going to uh, be looking at his absolute authority. And, and here's what's interesting as I was reading through this. We're going to look at 10 verses, the next 10 verses in this passage. And what's interesting is last week he declared that he was the Messiah. This week he never does that. His actions do that. And everyone else declares he's absolutely authoritative in all ways. Now, if you were here at the beginning of service, you probably recognized the, the, the song that the band covered by John Cougar Mellencamp, or John Cougar or John Mellencamp, depending at what point in his career it was. Uh, but you probably recognize that song. Uh, it, he's an interesting guy. There's a show that was on, t on VH1 that, that is still in reruns that I watch, and it's called v VH1 Storytellers. And they did, uh, you know, a John Cougar Mellencamp Thing. It's, if you've never seen it and you like music, it's cool. They play their songs. They tell stories about it. Anyway, he was sharing about him coming into stardom. Now, he's from Seymour, Indiana. It's like the heartland of America. Uh, very, very rural part that he grew up in. And no one had been, ever been, become famous from Seymour, Indiana. And so John, partially because he had, felt like he had no other options and partially because no one had ever become famous before, he decided... I'm going to become a famous musician. Well, because he had good friends, they all told him, keep your day job and do this as a hobby. That made him more <laughs> emboldened to make it happen. He moved to New York. And here's the story he tells. It's kind of hilarious. He moves to New York and he says, I got a record deal like super fast, but not because of the demo tapes or the sound of my music. I got a record deal because they liked the way I looked. And they thought they could sell my image, so they changed my name to John Cougar. And they're about to release the record. And he's like, I'm not releasing this under the name John Cougar. And they're like, well, then we're not releasing it. And he said, I'll release it under John Cougar. And then he went on this years-long battle with his record company to finally get back to being John Mellencamp. He just released another album last week. So it's a great record. But anyway, the refrain in the song is, I fought authority and authority what? Sometimes it, No always wins. Here's what's interesting about that phrase. I, I counted 17 times he says that. And after hearing it 17 times, I'm like, hey, dude, I got it. You got a problem with authority. But here's the thing. You already know it's going to win. So maybe you should just stop fighting. Right? But that's not how he's wired. And the thing that's interesting about this is that, truth be told, all of us have a somewhat adversarial relationship with authority, right? We don't, partially because 
we don't really love being told what to do by others, right? We kind of want to make our own decisions, and we don't like when people have authority over this. Think about, like, politicians, right? The mask mandate went in, and some people were really upset about that. I don't like that authority. And then they repealed it, and other people were like, I don't like that decision. Or you think about the coaches are authority figures. Anytime the coach put me on the bench, I disagreed with his decision. I should have been in there, right? Even think about referees. They can put you in the penalty box. They can give, you know, extra yardage to the team. We generally, it doesn't really matter what we think. It just, it just is what it is. And then you, you have this, right? You're driving down the street and a police car pulls out and pulls up behind you. And you're like, oh, no, it's an authority. And you're like, what? And you turn down the radio. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you do it, don't you? You're like, oh, I better turn this down. And you hit your blinker or, so, you know, because we don't like authority. And here's the truth about it. In general, we kind of get this idea. You know, we probably actually agree in general. And what we agree with is the fact that we all need structure and we need laws to keep the bad guys from doing bad things, right? We all agree with that. The problem is that there's an underlying assumption with that thinking, and that underlying assumption is this. I'm the authority, and everyone agrees with what I think is good and what I think is bad. But that's not true in life. And what happens is when authority directly impacts me and my ability to make my decisions on what I think is right or what I think is wrong, I'm all of a sudden less charmed with it. I like the idea less than I did when we agreed on what was right and wrong when I got to make my own decisions. I would say it's very fair to understand that we're generally adversarial in our relationship to authority. And here's what's interesting about Jesus. As I was reading through it, and in all four of the Gospels, he actually had a little bit of a problem with authority. Not all authority, but the main authority that he had problems with were the religious authorities of his time and some of the political, and that was kind of intertwined. But, and, and here's... Here's what's interesting. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at a broader definition of authority, specifically in the context of the spiritual realm and as Jesus and the readers of this gospel would have understood what authority means. And we're going to understand some really important things. The first thing is we're going to see that Jesus was completely authoritative. Secondly, we're going to see how he used his authority. And third, we're going to see what the result of submitting to authority is in our lives. Now, as you read through Luke, one of the interesting things, we talked about some of the differences about Luke versus the other Gospels. One of the, one of the things that's different is that it's probably the most chronologically recorded set of miracles. There were, I think there are 37 or something like that recorded miracles of Jesus. And this, we're going to keep reading, and we're going to pick up with his miracle with the first one recorded in Luke, but it's actually the third one. We have the, for the first one we all love, right? The water to wine. Right? We'd love to see Jesus do more of that. And then he had a centurion he, he healed. But the, the, one, the first one that Luke records, we're going to read, it's about a demon possession. And uh, just by way of review, last week we talked about this. Jesus, again, returned to his hometown. He announced that he was the Messiah. They loved the idea so much, they wanted to take him up to a high cliff and throw him off to kill him. And then he just disappears. And then the next thing we know... He's moved on to teach elsewhere. And that's exactly how it reads. He's like, he did this magic vanishing act all of a sudden. So I'm going to pick up in verse 31 and read to 
through 41 of chapter 4, and then I want to talk about this, okay? So, Luke 4, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, here's a pretty important thing. Don't miss this. The demons immediately recognized who Jesus was. They recognized he was sent by God. <laughs> let's not miss that detail. But let's keep reading. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before, before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Then, Jesus then left the synagogue and went to the house of Simon. That's Peter, one of his disciples. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, all in the days, so, so that, now the end of his day. Do you ever feel like you accomplish a lot? Well, you don't. Okay? Right here's the example. Anyway, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, and he rebuked them and would not let them speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Whew. That's a lot in one day. And here's what I want to do. I want to kind of just review what this is. So here's Jesus leaves Nazareth. He shows up in Capernaum, begins teaching. That was his practice to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and teach. So he's doing that, and immediately they recognize his, uh, the authority of his teaching. And the cross-reference in Mark, by the way, this is very fascinating. The cross-reference in Mark chapter 1 says, he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teaching of the religious law, the leaders of the religious law. So they're saying, he had this authority, they don't. That's how he taught. And we actually haven't defined authority, but it's, I think we all get it. It's pretty simple. It's power to give orders or make decisions for people or the power to control something or someone, right? And the Greek word, exousia, I think I have it here. Yeah, you should write that last word down. That's super helpful. I don't see, is anyone writing? Exousia, basically that just means ruling power power to act, and it comes from a root word that means the ability to grant permission. He is the one who's got the ability to do what he says he's going to do when he can grant permission to everything else. And there's a demon-possessed man that we just read about, smack dab in the middle of the synagogue, the holiest of holy places in the town, populated with the holiest of the holy people in town, the religious leaders. These religious authorities have done absolutely nothing to release this man from his demon possession and his oppressed life. And as we said last week, Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, to release the prisoner, 
and set the oppressed free. And here's a guy, demon-possessed, in the holiest of religious authority places in the town, and no one's doing a thing about it. But upon seeing Jesus, something changes. And Luke is showing us right here a real-life demonstration of the difference between Jesus, the Messiah, and the religious leader of Jesus' day. And Jesus was not there. Be really clear about this. Jesus was not there to impress them with his teaching. It doesn't say, when we read this, it doesn't say, and they were amazed with his diction and use of didactic language to convince the people. They weren't even amazed that his three points began with the same letter. That's not what it says. It says they were amazed at the authority of his words and his teaching. That's a different thing. He basically, this is saying he has the power over the demonic. He has power over the human, power over the life to come, power over life. And as we keep reading, we're going to see he also has power over nature. He has absolute authority. And now he's going to establish that authority because here's the thing. He just made a claim that he was the Messiah. And what good is a Messiah who does not have the power and authority to do what he promises to do? It'd be like if Superman, if his suit was made out of kryptonite. That's not a superhero. That's a person who just brags. But Jesus Christ is about to demonstrate as he's doing all these miracles that he actually can do the things that Messiahs need to do. And the demon, as we said, immediately recognizes him and declares him the Holy One of God. He sees the power that Jesus has. He sees the exousia that Jesus has, and he realizes he's about to be exorcised from this guy. He says, you're going to destroy me. So Jesus was concerned about giving life back to this man. That's why he was here, to rule in the spiritual realms on our behalf and his behalf so that we could have the life we're created to live. But here's the amazing thing. We're only getting started because after they see this exorcism, the, the witnesses all double down on their amazement at Jesus' uh, authority. He says, what words are these? With, with authority and power, he gives orders to the impure spirits, and they come out. They're like, forget the Messiah of the sword and shield. Forget the Messiah of the slick political persuasion. We want this one of the spiritual kind that has power over people and has power over the demons and has power over the spiritual realm because that's something worth following. He's above and beyond the created powers and created order. He is the creator. He's not bound by the order of creation. Then Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes to Peter's house. Peter's mom is sick. He leans over her, he rebukes the fever, and immediately she's healed. That evening, word gets out, and people just in droves are bringing all the sick and demon-possessed people. He's laying hands on them and healing them, and everyone's declaring he's the son of God. And they knew he was the Messiah. So what I want to do quickly in the last few minutes this, this, this afternoon. So I want to look at how Jesus' authority impacts us today. 
What does that mean for me to know that Jesus has authority? And I think there are three things that we can see from these 10 verses that we just read and the account of all this miraculous stuff and the claims that everyone was making about Jesus and his authority. I want us to understand three things. The first is this, that God's authority produces freedom. God's authority produces freedom. Now, you could say it another way. Man's authority produces usually bondage. Right? Authority, if I have authority over you, I can keep you down. The Jewish law has like 613 rules to follow. 365 of those are what I call thou shalt nots. The other 240 some are thou shalts. And these rules were supposed to be put in place because It was going to produce righteousness in the people. But the reality is it produced bondage. I mean, how many of you want to go, I boy, let me I wonder if I got all 613 of those things accomplished or covered today, or did I fail on any of them? See, it it was actually put in place not to produce holiness or righteousness. These were put in place as measures to keep people in line underneath you and underneath your authority. That's what was really going on. These spiritual do's and don'ts were designed to manage behavior. And one of the things we even see in the miracle performed when he exercised the demon in the synagogue is that he did it on the Sabbath, and he was actually violating one of the laws of the Jewish faith by healing on the Sabbath. Now, let me just ask you a question. What seems more like good news to the poor, release of the captives, set free from being oppressed. Letting a guy stay demon-possessed because it's Sunday or freeing him of the thing that's robbing his life. See, this was a completely different kind of authority that he had, and he wanted to use it to produce something different. He didn't want to hold it over this person. He wanted to empower this person to have the life he was born to live. And I said that Jesus had a problem with authority. And throughout all the accounts of Jesus' life, we see that almost exclusively the the encounters that he had that are negative are with the religious authorities of his day. And the problem was that the way they used their authority was to have power over others and not to bring freedom in life. And that's what he's talking about. And that's the Messiah they needed. That's the Messiah they actually wanted. They just didn't know it. Look at this verse. This is from Matthew 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What's he saying? He's like, you have all of these laws and you're making yourself look like the good guys because you are the ones who administer the laws and you're making the people live up to your standards, but you're only advancing your own kingdom and your own position and your own reputation and your own image. You're not helping people. You're burdening them down. That's death inside. That's not life-giving. He had the power to empower the people or they had the power to empower the people, and they chose to have power over the people instead. That's not the kind of authority that Jesus came to bring. That's human authority, and that's why we have a negative reaction to it. Let me just ask you, 
Is your submission to Jesus' authority producing freedom in the lives of others? Because I would submit, if you claim to be someone who's submitted to the authority of Jesus, and you, the way you use the authority you have in your life with your kids, with your relationships, with your friends at work, if it's not producing freedom, if it's actually advancing your own kingdom, then you may need to relook at whether you've actually really submitted to the authority of God. That's the first one. God's authority produces freedom. The second point is this, that God's authority leads to responsive hands and hearts. And I think that we can observe three responses that happen as Jesus uh, goes, as we read these 10 verses. The first is that we respond in like, in serving others. And you look at when he healed, he healed Peter's mom. It's, you know, um, you know, we're all suffering from COVID. And it take, you know, you probably went through this if you've had it. Like, you, f- you start to feel a little bit better. And then you're like, no, I'm not better. Uh, I think I'm, no, 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 I'm not better. And then like four days later, you feel like, okay, I'm about 80%. Well, that's, that's not what happens when he heals Peter's uh, mother-in-law of, of the fever. She's immediately healed. And what is her response? You remember? She begins to immediately wait on them. You see, when we receive and submit to the authority of Jesus, it produces life in us, and that life, once we experience it, should be producing that same freedom in others. She gets up and immediately says, you've served me, now I need to serve. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing is when, when we submit to his authority, we respond in praise and worship. And you see this every time there was a healing in these 10 verses, either the demons or the people are going, he is the son of God. He's the one sent from God. What kind of authority is this? This is crazy. They're declaring the goodness of who God is publicly. They are on fire for the authority that they have. And here's the thing. They see it as very, very good. They don't have a negative reaction to the authority. Why? Because Jesus' authority gives life. And when we experience that life by submitting to his authority... We have the life we were created to live. But also, as I just said, we received the life he made us to live. And this is kind of interesting. You know, if you were to look at Matthew, Mark, and John, the other three Gospels, do you know what you find out about the guy, the demoniac, who got healed in the, in the temple? Do you know? And nothing doesn't say anything. So I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. But you just tell me, if you have been possessed by a demon and the demon is thrown out, don't you think that would feel like you've just received new life? We were not created to be controlled by our desires and our evil thoughts or by evil oppressive spirits or any of this. We're created to live a life that brings honor and glory to God and sets us free from the bondage of this world. And I believe that's what happened to this man. And I know that's what happens to us when we submit. 
The third thing is this, that God's authority is a choice. Now, that's a little bit of a baited statement, okay? I know that. I want to be really careful in explaining what I mean here. I don't mean that we get to choose if God is authoritative or not. He is authoritative. He, he just is. What I'm saying is that we get to choose whether we want to submit to it or not submit to it. Back to John Cougar. I fight authority, but what? It always wins. We get to choose how we want to interact with the authority of Jesus. You get to choose who you want to be the final authority in your life. Are you going to choose to do your own thing and try and pursue life your own way, or are you going to submit to the thing that your soul craves, the freedom and love and grace and all the things that Jesus offers us? Or do we want to try and make it up on our own? See, what's interesting is, I, I probably should have said this earlier in the message, just so you know, power and authority are not the same thing, right? Power, you can use, like, you can, you can use force uh, and exert that on someone to get your way, right? You can overpower someone. But authority is a granted submission by a subordinate group or person, that's what authority is. That's the difference. That authority is when you say, I'm going to give you the permission to control me, as we said, to make decisions on my behalf. And even Jesus submitted to authority, by the way. He had a problem with some authority, but look at this. John 6, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, I'm not here about my own thing. I submit to God's leadership. And then you see on the famous passage, final night on earth, the garden of Gethsemane, well, actually final night before he's crucified, Jesus in the garden says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but your will. God's authority is a choice in our life. And we can choose whether we want to submit to it or whether we want to not fight, not submit to it and be John Cougar, fight the authority and continue losing. So I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to close here with some worship. But I just have a couple things that I, as we close, I want to pray and just talk with you about just really quickly. Ultimately, all of this makes very little difference if you have not yet even accepted Christ into your life. If you've rejected his authority, none of this is going to matter. But for those of you who say, I have accepted Christ and I am submitting to him, we have a couple questions. Is it producing freedom in the lives of those around me? Am I following Jesus' example and bringing hope to the poor and setting captives free? Because if not, again, we need to probably consider if we have actually really are submitting in these areas of our life. So here's what I want to do. You guys pray with me as we transition here. Lord, we come and humble ourselves before you, following the example of Jesus, and we say we want to be about your will. We want to submit to you and your authority.
And the reason that we can trust that is because we know that your authority produces the life we desire. Help us identify the areas in our life where we're fighting with you, where we're refusing to submit. Forgive us for our reluctance to believe that your way is better than our way. Forgive us for the times when we make ourselves the authority over you. Help us be people who produce in those around us the freedom that they were created to live as well. And that freedom is in your grace. Help us change this place by our submission to your will. You are the Messiah. We grant all authority in your name. We declare you the king of the universe. We ask this in your name. Amen.